From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Well, Pandora's box got flung open this weekend, and what came spilling out were secrets about how global billionaires and politicians stash their assets. The Pandora Papers are, of course, a giant leak of millions of financial documents obtained by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. They show the surprising ways many ultra-wealthy people and global leaders are using offshore trusts and the impact that can have on a country's tax revenue. Today, we're going to hear two very different perspectives about what, if anything, should be done about this. Later on, we'll speak with a trust and estates lawyer who works with high net worth individuals and families. He's worried about a possible overreaction to the Pandora Papers leak that could impinge on his client's privacy. But first, we hear about the tax revenue side of things. Christian Hallam is the tax policy lead for the advocacy group Oxfam International. He spoke to Bloomberg tax reporter Michael Rappaport from his home in Copenhagen about exactly how he says this type of wealth hoarding hurts the public good. The Pandora Papers is being termed the largest tax leak ever, uh, surpassing even Panama Papers and all the previous leaks. And it is really at the heart of it is uh, 14 companies that have uh, helped wealthy and powerful clients to set up uh, shell companies, trusts, and other legal entities to shield their fortunes and to provide them with secrecy. Uh, explain in basic terms why why that's a problem. I mean, a lot of these assets are stashed in tax haven countries, countries that 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 mm-hmm. offer uh, very low tax rates and uh, a, mm-hmm. a lot of secrecy to the to the. Uh, the people who put their assets there, and thus they're, they're hidden from public view and hidden from the authorities that might uh, tax them or, or otherwise regulate them. Yeah, so, I mean, we have to recognize that this is coming in the midst of a global crisis. Uh, public coffers all over the world are suffering from a huge economic crisis, and uh, we're seeing the largest increase in extreme poverty in decades. Inequality is growing. Um, so, Really, to have this kind of situation um, exposed in the midst of this is really shocking because it shows that billionaires are playing by a different set of rules. They're hiding money, avoiding and evading tax in some instances. And really that uh, we're allowing this to continue because this is not the first leak. It's one of many. So to have that uh, revelation to come out now is really a reminder that when politicians say that there's simply no money for this or that, well, it's not true. There is money. There is actually quite a lot of money floating around, and we could reclaim some of that money if we wanted to. What the the leaks show this time uh, is very clearly that a lot of the people who are involved in hiding their, their assets Uh, are uh, individuals that uh, live in developing countries. The leaks also shows that they're only able to do this with the very support of uh, Western advisors, Western uh, financial institutions. So it really is a a story of global inequality. It's uh, it's important to note that, uh, and journalists who who, uh, who, uh, report on these documents point this out, much if not all of what's revealed here is legal. Most definitely. But I think we should also be careful in terms of saying, well, this is, we can't really say that this is illegal. I mean, what the leaks show us is uh, billions of dollars uh, sloshing around in this uh, tax haven network. 
We don't know for sure whether or not the billions are reported to tax administrations. If they are not, uh, then there could certainly be a lot of tax evasion involved here. The leaks alone will not be able to tell us that. But when we know that um, from the leaks, just this round, that we have uh, about 130 billionaires who have stashed away funds offshore to the tune of around 600 billion US dollars, it does raise the question of very significant uh, amounts of, uh, of um, offshore tax evasion. What is the consequence of this sort of activity in the home countries of these these uh, uh, these billionaires, world leaders? And I think one of your colleagues at Oxfam alluded to this is where your hospitals are. It means hospitals that that, that aren't built, innovation that that isn't funded, uh, efforts to fight things like climate change and COVID that that, that don't have the uh, the money necessary. Exactly. I mean, it is infuriating when you know the kind of uh, uh, needs. Uh, that are unmet in a lot of these countries where the billionaires, where the powerful have uh, um, stashed away billions, to have a situation where poverty is rising, inequality is rising, there's huge pressure on public budgets in many developing countries right now um, for cutdowns, for austerity, uh, and then to know that the billions are out there stashed away in tax havens. It is infuriating. Uh, and the, the United States is a contributor to this problem, correct? I mean, some of these financial vehicles are in the United States. The laws of some states in the U.S., like South Dakota and Nevada, uh, are, are friendly to these kinds of, of trust and other vehicles and are, and are facilitating this kind of secrecy. That's completely true. And I think that's uh, one of the really uh, new revelations also to come with this leak as compared to some of the previous ones is really the role of the US. Uh, so I'll give you one example from South Dakota, a Brazilian billionaire who was fined in his own country for underpaying his worker. Now he was found to have stashed uh, funds in a trust in South Dakota. And uh, you know, this is really, I think, illustrative of the kind of inequality that uh, when you provide secrecy for the very wealthy, the kinds of uh, grotesque outcomes we can see from that. And uh, the role of the U.S. as becoming a new uh, destination for, for, for these funds is really, really concerning. Now, as you probably know, uh, uh, some people out there say these kinds of vehicles are, are, are perfectly legitimate and have application beyond just the ultra-rich and, and uh, people from abroad. Uh, people of more modest means can use them for things like uh, uh, setting aside assets and trust for their children to, to make sure that they're, that they're taking care of protecting assets from uh, litigation and divorce. I mean, what do you say to that argument? Well, I think that uh, the leaks clearly demonstrate that uh, overwhelmingly we're seeing uh, controversial uses of this secrecy that these uh, instruments provide. And we're seeing case after case after case of misuse, uh, in some cases even illegal. So I think uh, we really have to uh, distinguish between uh, what are privacy concerns and what is uh, about secrecy. And I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a really uh, interesting uh, movie, uh, The Laundromat, which is about the Panama Papers. And there's a great ex exchange there. There's a business reporter from ABC Nassim Kadim that, that wrote about this. 
she pointed out that there's a really good uh, exchange in that movie between the characters, uh, the owners of the Mossack Fonseca law firm uh, at the heart of that scandal. And they're talking about the, the, the difference between privacy and secrecy. Uh, privacy is really about uh, if you go to the bathroom and you lock the door because you have to pee and it's it's sort of a, a legitimate thing. Whereas secrecy is really going to the bathroom and locking the door but then doing something that you are not meant to be doing at all in the bathroom. So it's really about, you know, misusing that, uh, that shield uh, to, to conduct yourself in ways that, uh, that you're not really supposed to be doing. And I think that's what we have to acknowledge. These uh, uh, complicated, convoluted legal entities are really about secrecy. And the thing about secrecy is that it attracts those with secrets to keep. And when you're talking about big money and powerful people and wealthy individuals, those kinds of secrets are usually not of the very uh, benevolent type. And that's what we have uh, confirmed time and again from these leaks is that the kind of behavior that we're seeing that these legal entities are being used for is completely immoral, illegal in many instances, and definitely not uh, something that they would be doing if uh, there was transparency around it. We've been talking with Christian Hallam, tax policy lead for Oxfam International. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now we hear from Josh Rubenstein. He's a trust and estates attorney with the law firm Catton. Rubenstein told Michael that he fears an overreaction to the Pandora Papers may cause more harm than good. Offshore trusts are a lot like powers of attorney. The courts and the regulators don't see the 999 times out of 1,000 that they're used properly. Uh, those don't come to their attention. It's the one time out of 1,000 when they're used for abusive purposes whether it be tax evasion, money laundering, those are the ones that come to the attention of the uh, regulators and the courts. So uh, the fact of the matter is that offshore financial centers are by and large, not exclusively, uh, highly regulated and bend over backwards to make sure they are not facilitating tax evasion. Uh, I cannot speak to any particular one that was disclosed by the ICIJ in its report, but it, it just because you use an offshore financial center doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Right. And and some of the purposes or a lot of the purposes of these trusts are, are uh, very vanilla and legitimate. To, to what degree do you think there's a uh, there is a problem here? You mentioned the one case in a thousand. Do you think that it is, in fact, where these these uh, these trusts are used for, for illicit purposes? You know, I would hope I would be surprised if the majority of world leaders who use them are doing something illicit. Uh, that having been said, one of the reasons that offshore financial centers arose in the first place are there are certain unstable parts of the world where if you leave your money there, it'll be taken. So if you call that an illicit purpose, preventing it from being confiscated by the government of the country where you live, so be it. But uh, there, there are plenty of illicit reasons for doing it. Even if it is legal, I mean, in your mind, is, is, is there a problem when leaders of poor countries use these trusts? many of which are in the United States, when they use uh, U.S. trust and the laws of the U.S. to, to store large amounts of personal assets, e even when it, when it is in fact legal? Well, you're asking a lawyer. So my answer is, if what they're doing is legal, then the answer is it's fine. If you're asking me, is it moral? Maybe not, but then change the law. Um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, one of the frustrations that a lot of countries have with the use of these countries is that they have not 
set up their legal and tax systems in a fashion that uh, can tax money put in these trusts. So one thing that a lot of people, particularly people in the U.S., simply don't realize is that the U.S. system of taxation is unique in the world. Uh, the U.S. taxes based on citizenship, regardless of where you live. And if you're a citizen of the U.S. or a resident of the U.S., you pay worldwide income taxes, and it picks up these trusts. So for U.S. citizens, these trusts aren't a concern. Um, there are only two countries in the world that have that system, uh, the United States and West Eritrea. Uh, don't ask me where, well, I do know where West Eritrea is, but uh, every other country in the world has a tax system based on domicile. And domicile doesn't necessarily mean where you live. In most countries, you acquire a domicile at birth, and you can live someplace habitually and not be domiciled there. So, for, for instance, UK, you may have heard of resident non-doms, they call them in the UK. Uh, you can be living for 10 straight years in the UK, but because your domicile is Italy, where your father was born, you are resident in the UK, but not domiciled in the UK, in which case the UK cannot tax your worldwide income. It can only tax the income that's remitted there. That is the nature of the system. And that's why offshore financial centers help people reduce their global income tax, because the laws of the country where they live don't tax them on their worldwide assets. If countries change to the U.S. system, that loophole would be gone overnight. Well, as you know, there are lots of advocacy groups and citizen groups who are up in arms about the, the revelations in these documents. They say it shows the extent to which the rich and influential can keep their financial affairs secret, even when they should be public, can, can prevent governments around the world from collecting taxes that they need to afford, fund important public services. What do you, what do you say to, uh, to that, uh, that contention? My answer to that is that the country should change their laws so that they have worldwide taxation of their citizens. And then they'd be able to tax those trusts overnight. As we scrutinize these trusts and, and possibly take action against them uh, as, as a result of uh, what we see in the Pandora Papers, is there a danger that we, that we get too, too strict and throw out the baby with the bathwater, that we restrict them in ways that, that, that would unfairly limit them? That is, that is my biggest concern, that we would be throwing out the baby with the bathwater, uh, which is why I use the analogy of one out of a thousand as opposed to 999 out of a thousand. It's, it's, it's sort of like going after a gnat with a bazooka. There are so much more targeted approaches that would protect the legitimate uses of trusts. Uh, protecting your children against predators. Why, why should someone know that your six-year-old is going to be a, a billionaire someday? or have access to that kind of money. It, 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 there has to be balance between secrecy on the one hand and privacy on the other. And I think that's what people are getting confused. I have no problem saying that secrecy should be dead. There, there should be complete reporting of financial information in a non-public fashion to government officials. But in a public fashion, I think it's very important to preserve privacy so you can protect your family. What, if anything, then do you think should be done in response to these, uh, to what we've learned from from these from these documents? Do, do you think we need stronger rules about transparency? Do you think we need more regulation of trusts? Do you think we need uh, a bigger effort to to change the laws and tax havens around the world? See, it's, it's not really the laws of the tax havens that have to change. It's really the laws of the countries of the people who use tax havens that have to uh, change. When when somebody calls 
an offshore financial center, a tax haven, all that really means is that jurisdiction doesn't charge its own taxes. But that jurisdiction doesn't help you evade your domestic taxes. That's up to the laws of the domestic country. So you know, just, just as the world has become homogenized in terms of stores and music and things like that, I, I think eventually tax systems are going to have to be homogenized too. Well, as you know, that's kind of, uh, to an extent, what's in the works now at the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which just this week is trying to finalize a global deal that would impose a global minimum tax. Well, I think that would be an appropriate response, by the way. <laughs> you know, that, that wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just say, no matter what you do, there must be a minimum tax of X percent if you have more than Y. And you know, do I have clients who wouldn't like that? Of course. But could I object to that? Not in the slightest. We've been talking with uh, Josh Rubenstein from Catamook and Roseman. Uh, thanks so much for your, for your time and your insights. Oh, my pleasure. That was Josh Rubenstein, an attorney with the firm Cadden. Before that, you heard Christian Hallam with Oxfam International. They both spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Michael Rappaport. You can find more up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And also get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. We have special help today from Meg Shreve. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.